0: Hello, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Technology Uncorked. This show is brought to you by Navman. And a little bit of a side story, actually. When I, um, my previous car that I did own, was driving down the, the M2 motorway in Sydney and had a car accident. That was how I lost my my favorite car at the time. It was a Volkswagen Eos. I loved that car. But anyway, I had this car accident on the M2 and obviously you need to make the phone calls, you need to call the tow trucks and whatever else. And the question is always, well, where are you? and it was very difficult to say because it's a motorway. I don't quite know how close I am to certain exits and things like that. You're a little bit disoriented and stuff. But what I noticed with Navman products is a lot of them have this built-in roadside assist feature. Now, hopefully it's not to do with a car accident and maybe it's just a, a flat tire or your car needs attention. Uh, what they can give you on the spot from the, the Navman unit is your GPS coordinates and providing that to anyone, whether it's the NRMA for roadside or it's the police or whoever, uh, providing that will give you an exact pinpoint as to how they can find you. Really important important if you do get stuck in, a, in an awkward situation hopefully it's not a car accident but just letting you know it's a really handy feature to have in those times when you might need it check out the whole range from navman whether it's dash cams or navigation units from Navman.com.au. All right, now tonight I'm drinking a really lovely glass, actually, from uh, a bottle which Salamis have sent me. It's a Colpasso Nero Diavola. Now, this is exclusive to Cellermasters. It's been brought all the way from Sicily, obviously, in Italy, and it's a, it's a red wine. It's a really delicious drop, and I'm having it by itself, but I actually imagine this to go really well, obviously, with pasta. Essentially, when you think about wines, uh, think about where it's coming from and the foods that they eat. Generally, their wines match perfectly with their local foods, just like a Barossa Red works perfectly. With a beautiful Australian beef or some steak. I think that's a perfect pair as well. So this is a real lovely drop. And what impresses me the most when I when I always taste these wines from Salamasters is their price, and it kind of blows me away. Obviously they're doing some amazing deals behind the scenes, but I'm talking about a $22 bottle of wine, which, you know, when we opened tonight, we both just sort of said, wow, this is pretty damn good. This is punching above its weight. So uh, do check it out at Cellmasters. It's the Colpasso Nero Diavola. You know, plenty of beautiful red fruits in this. I'm getting a bit of plum and some strong berry flavors as well. But it's the 2018, which means it's uh, it's sort of, it's ready to go. I think this sort of wine is ready to drink. Hard to keep it at that price. I think you'd be uh, smashing through those bottles. Anyway. Let's get on with the show. Plenty and plenty of tech news this week. In fact, most of the show will be technology news. We will try and break it up a little bit, do a little bit of discussion. But uh, there's going to be a whole, what do I call a swathe of things. We'll talk news from Apple, Blackberry, Panasonic. Uh, Elon Musk is on his train again. We're going to talk about the NBN, going to talk about Mobile World Congress, going to talk about a virtual traffic jam, and even Dyson. So let's get on with the show because we're going to try and fit it all in in our usual time period. All right. Now, first off this week, I'm going to be talking about Apple. I know that we tend to start the show with Apple a lot of the time, uh, but they've got an interesting bit of news going on here in that uh, every so often they they drop the beta versions of their operating system software for their phone and watches and things like that. So developers can get their apps ready to make sure it works on that new uh, operating version. However, 13.4, which will come out later on. Uh, But the the, the beta that we're we're seeing here has a new API, which we haven't seen before, and it's called CarKey. Now, this is interesting because this could actually mean that we'll be able to use our iPhone or our Apple Watch to start the car, unlock the car, and obviously lock the car as well. Uh, This is very interesting because we have seen developments like this from like Hyundai who have an app which you can now put onto your phone for certain models in their range. Uh, Volvo has, has an app as well which you can use. And obviously we've seen apps which help you turn the air conditioning on in your car remotely. There's heaps of those sort of apps already. I mean, BMW has that as well. However, the idea that I could potentially walk up to my car Um, maybe not have a car key in my pocket anymore, but because I have my iPhone with me and perhaps the key is stored in in my wallet, my Apple wallet, then I can actually unlock my car. To me, that sounds extremely cool because imagine uh, maybe you've got your car parked somewhere and somebody else is needing to pick up that car and take it. If they just have a virtual key, that means you could actually share a car quite easily as well. So I think it's really interesting. I love that Apple is getting into this space too. I mean, we've, they obviously got into our cars first with CarPlay. We've seen manufacturers really get on board with that. Now you've got wireless CarPlay as well, but you know, the next idea around car key. This sounds fantastic because if it's one less thing in my pocket, you know, Apple has been removing things from our wallets our physical wallets for a long time now they're potentially removing the keys from our pockets so bring it on um, look out for ios 13.4 in the future however remember it doesn't mean that if they have this feature that it will work on every car on the planet i expect it be just like carplay that the feature is available on the phone and then it'll be up to manufacturers to start integrating that into their vehicles so it could mean buying a new car as well which is not necessarily the best option for most people this week we also had some some deaths, I guess you could call it. Uh, I'm talking about technology deaths here. We're talking about BlackBerry now. For me, I have been a huge, huge BlackBerry fan for a very, very long time. With uh, people go all the way back to my original YouTube videos or even my first, you know, few Twitter posts and things like that. It was all about BlackBerry. I, I loved them. Obviously, the, the companies that I worked for used BlackBerry phones. This was before the days of iPhone and things like that. A huge fan now. As BlackBerry started to fail and you know the iPhone started to dominate and Android and things like that, uh, the, the company really caved in and what they started to do was license their brand and they licensed it to a company called TCL. TCL has been making BlackBerry branded phones for a couple of years and they haven't gone that well, to be honest. I mean, they, they really tried to have an Android operating system running on a phone that looked a bit like a BlackBerry, had the full QWERTY keyboard still. Uh, But the problem was, was that people had kind of moved on. People had moved on. They started to get their iPhones. They were happy with them. They were happy with their Samsungs. They kind of forgot about BlackBerry, and it really did lose its its reputation in a lot of ways. So it looks like TCL has broken up with BlackBerry and will no longer uh, be using the BlackBerry brand on any of their phones. So what interests me here is what happens to the BlackBerry brand? Will somebody pick it up? Will will there be another company which takes the BlackBerry brand and tries to resurrect it and make it another enterprise device? What will they do? Is Is there enough? is there enough nostalgia in BlackBerry for people to care anymore? I think Kim Kardashian was one of the only ones who was so loyal to BlackBerry, even even after things had really gone pear-shaped. We now know that she uses an iPhone, so we don't see her going back to it. So really, if she was the biggest fan and they lost that, what next? So let's wait and see what happens. But I think this could be the official last nail in the coffin for BlackBerry on the consumer side. They actually still have an enterprise presence as well, just not in smartphones. So let's wait and see. But that was BlackBerry. Secondly, though, this one was a little bit sad as well. And again, it kind of actually relates to one of my first things. Now, Panasonic. Panasonic will no longer be selling televisions in Australia. Now, this was a big thing for me to read because my first uh, TV that I purchased was a Panasonic plasma television. It was a 50-inch TV. I think it cost me three or four thousand dollars. It was a a beast. It was a heavy beast too. It was extremely heavy. I certainly weren't moving this thing often. Uh, but what an amazing television it was! The picture was so good. I think they were they were really class leading when it came to their televisions for a long time. Where they started to really fall behind was when smart TV came along and people started to think about well. I want to stream Netflix, I want my apps on my television. That becomes a problem. Panasonic weren't fast to embrace that. Samsung and LG certainly were. Uh, you've even got the likes of Hisense who came in. Even they haven't got the best smart TV operating systems on their televisions, but still way better than what Panasonic have. Further, when was the last time you actually saw an ad for Panasonic or a billboard or an ad in a newspaper I think they dropped off the planet of the earth from a marketing perspective long, long ago. And I really do think that has contributed to their demise. And it is a bit of a shame to see that you know Panasonic really did just give up. It felt like they gave up. We still saw their televisions at CES. We see them in stores, but who cares about that when you haven't heard, haven't heard a single thing about whether they're good TVs, whether they're bad TVs. Uh, Is there any brand awareness? There was just nothing. And again, You can't hang on to this nostalgia piece that, oh, it's okay, our existing customer base will always come back. That's definitely not true. There is nowhere near enough brand loyalty in the world that when I'm shopping for a television, I'm going to go straight back to that same brand over and over again. Not going to happen. Not when you've got the likes of Sony, Samsung, and LG sitting right next to you with extremely beautiful televisions, potentially cheaper or even better priced as well. It's just things you've got to think about. So, Goodbye, Panasonic, in that sense. I think it's a shame. I would love to see them come back. I still think the brand for me means something. um, But unless you've got the whole package, the smart TV operating system, um, a beautiful picture, a nice design, think design was important. But again, how would I ever know about their televisions if they don't do any marketing? So a bit of a shame to see from Panasonic. Uh, We wish you well in other countries. All right. Now, how is this for a little bit of interesting news? Uh, Elon Musk is a little bit nutty. Look, the guy the guy tweets a lot. The guy, if you follow him on Twitter, will probably make you more concerned about the company than if you didn't. Uh, so probably best if you're an investor, just to steer clear of all of that, just pay attention to the financial results, which seems to be doing really well at the moment. But Elon Musk, SpaceX, Tesla vehicles, we know what he's been doing. He's now venturing into a different space. And it's going to be around a thing called Starlink. Now, Starlink, S-T-A-R, Link, is a plan that he has actually had approved for Australia. Now, what we're talking about here is providing the internet via satellites. Now, you're probably saying, well, actually, we already have the uh, internet provided by satellites in regional areas. And we do. The NBN has been doing that. The speeds are extremely poor, and they're also very expensive to use. So we've had a lot of complaints in regional Australia around internet access. It's very hard to actually run fiber optic into regional communities when it's just such a long distance. You can understand why the NBN decided to launch a satellite instead of running cabling. However, Elon Musk's plan is quite interesting. And and again, it's been approved by ACMA. So the Australian Communications and Media Authority have approved him to start doing this, which is a big hurdle that he needed to clear. Now, when we're talking about delivering internet via satellites, in this sense with Starlink, he's looking at doing it on a different way to how the NBN did it. Now, without getting too far into the detail, the type of satellite that he would use is a much lower orbit satellite, which means that the response times and the speed is much faster because there's a lot less distance to travel. We're talking about, I think, a difference from, say, uh, I think it's thirty-five thousand kilometers with our NBN uh, type satellites to about two thousand kilometers with these Starlink ones. The reason for that is that you have to have the NBN ones so far away because there's actually only two. There's only two satellites that cover all of Australia for for that, and you're actually having them have so far away to actually account for the orbit. I know I'm getting a little little bit into the devil of the detail here, but it's important to understand that what Elon Musk wants to do is launch plenty of satellites, have them closer to the Earth so the speeds are better and the reliability is much higher as well. By doing that, yes, there's going to be a high initial cost, which we'll understand. Um, Foxtel's already actually complaining, saying it could impact the coverage that they have in terms of the satellite uh, that they provide to their Foxtel customers, because that one is at a higher orbit, and what if his one's get in the way? It's kind of crazy. But it looks like this could actually happen. Now, a lot of the things that Elon talks about never happens. But if he's serious about this and he thinks he can provide internet to regional Australia, I am all for it. Regional Australia is one of the biggest areas that needs technology help. Uh, I've been into some of the most remote communities inside Australia and I've seen it. I've seen the type of uh, internet connections they have. But what I also know is the huge impact that technology can have, whether it's on education, uh, digital healthcare. There are so many areas where, if we can improve the internet access to regional hubs, you can actually really improve people's lives. And I and I genuinely mean that, not just from a, people who complain about online gaming and stuff like that, but I'm talking about improving education, I'm talking about improving healthcare. And, uh, you know, you think about indigenous communities, there is just a huge amount of benefit here. So I'm fascinated by this. I will be following this one closely and we'll continue to update you on this one because I think it's extremely important not because if it's not because it's Elon Musk and things like that but it's a huge shift into what we're actually doing with our internet it will be fascinating to see how it, how it compares on price when we do get to that point. And it will also be interesting to hear what the government thinks about this real alternative to the NBN in regional areas. So bring it on. I mean, if you can do this, Elon, fantastic. I mean, kudos to you. I'm, I know you did the whole battery thing in, uh, in South Australia, but yeah, that's cool. But satellite stuff, yeah, that's, that's some juice I want to squeeze a bit further. So let's wait and see what happens with that. All right. Now we are about two weeks. Yeah, about two weeks. I think I fly out on the 17th or something. We're about two weeks away from Mobile World Congress. It's really the biggest event of the year when it comes to mobile devices. All the big brands tend to go there, obviously not Apple, but the big brands do fly in together. We meet in Barcelona and we hear about the big phones of the year. It's fantastic. Obviously, Samsung always do have their own events for other phones, like we've got coming up just before Mobile World Congress with the Galaxy S20, but they'll still be at Mobile World Congress. Now, we heard this week that there'll be two brands who potentially won't be. One definitely won't be, and it's LG. A massive, massive player saying that they are not going to be going to Mobile World Congress, uh, and ZTE it hasn't pulled out entirely, but ZTE have said they'll be taking extra precautions. So you can imagine small booth, probably plenty of face masks, that sort of thing. Now that's the main reason I I didn't allude to that before. Coronavirus. If you don't know about coronavirus, you're living under a rock or you're living in Mars. Listening to this podcast, coronavirus is a concern. I I'm going. Obviously, I'm concerned too. I'll be stuck on a plane with a bunch of people. Hopefully, they're all not diseased and going to impact my health and then i'm going to be staying in a hotel same sort of risk then i'm going to a conference where there's thousands of people again hoping that uh, people flying in from china Uh, Because I'm sure there will be people flying in from China, for example. Hopefully, none of them have the coronavirus. We're talking about risk. And what LG is doing here is just mitigating risk as much as possible to their employees because no one really wants their employees taking a work trip. That's what it is for LG uh, and coming back sick or having to stay in Barcelona because they are extremely sick as well. So I understand why companies are extremely concerned about this. I can also understand why other journalists would be. and, uh, And look, I'm concerned as well. Okay, but I'm very interested in going. I'm I'm so excited to be going. It's my first time going to Mobile World Congress in Barcelona, and this this idea that LG is pulling out is pretty scary. The way I see it is that if this was CES and LG pulled out, that's half the show you know, that would effectively feel like half the show is missing. LG dominates at CES between them and Samsung. Uh, if either big brand pulled out of that event, it would be major. So to have them pull out of uh, Mobile World Congress is a big deal, but it's not so much a big deal until another big brand does. So if Huawei or uh, Samsung or an Oppo pulled out of Mobile World Congress, then that's it. You know, you just can't imagine that event being successful. And you'd actually probably imagine that most media would start to pull back as well and just think oh, it's not worth going. So fascinated to see where this happens. Hopefully that's the end of the, uh, the pullouts in this sense. Uh, no one wants to get coronavirus. So if you have to pull out, you pull out. But uh, let's wait and see. Otherwise, I'll be heading off to Barcelona in a couple of weeks. And I cannot wait to tell you all about some of the amazing things that are going to come out of Mobile World Congress. All right. A little bit of a funny story this week. I really, really like this. And this is where um, actually performance art, uh, I understand for the first time. I feel like I actually understand this type of art. Now, this is a artist called Simon Weckert. I hope I'm pronouncing his last name correctly. Uh, He has created a virtual traffic jam on Google Maps. Now, Let's have a let's have a think about what he's actually done here. So we know that uh, when you're using Google Maps on your phone, you're sending a lot of data back to Google to help them understand where there's congestion and where there is congestion is based on where there's a lot of cars sending this data back to Google. When there is congestion, the next person who needs to get navigation will probably be told to avoid a certain area because there is congestion ahead and find an alternate route or route, however you decide to pronounce it. What Simon has done is taken advantage of that little algorithm that, that Google is using and got a little trolley, what looks like a, um, I think Paddington Bear used to pull one along. It's like a small wheelie trolley and loaded it with 99 smartphones running Google Maps with uh, direction, directions turned on and just started to walk slowly down the road plodding along in the morning and walked actually actually walked past the Google Office. And I love this. I think it was Google in uh, Berlin, yeah, Google in Berlin. So he's walking past their office slowly with ninety nine phones running Google Maps. And uh, you can actually see dynamically, you could see the map starting to evolve from a green line, which is a clear, clear road to amber and then to red. And I love that he actually simulated ninety nine cars effectively crawling at snail's pace down the road going past the Google office in Berlin. That is performance art, I learned, and I get it because it's funny and I think it means something. Now, I actually really want to talk to Simon about this because I do think that there is a lot more to it From an art perspective, that he was really trying to achieve. I'm sure there's a message that he was trying to come across with. Um, These artists do tend to think a bit different to how I'm thinking. However, this is just so cool, and Google is going to have to think about ways to ensure this doesn't happen again. Because now that it's happened, you can imagine there'll be a bunch of teenage kids sitting on a bus, or with their Google Maps open, uh, starting to figure out how they can make fake traffic when they're uh, when they're together, whether they're at school, whatever the case may be. I can just see something like that happening. So it is funny. Um, there's a pretty cool video you can check out. Almost every tech website on the planet has run this story. Uh, but you head to The Verge. I think they've got a really cool piece together where you can find it and just watch what he's done. Simon Weckert, the old bloke in Berlin. I don't know how old he is, but it's quite funny. Do check it out. And of course... We have been talking about the coronavirus, and I can understand the concern. I certainly can. A lot of people have been going out and buying facial masks, and there are acronyms for that P2 and other things. However, what if Dyson, what if Dyson put an air purifier that, could, that you could take around with you? What if they had an air purifier that you could carry around? What if that air purifier was also a pair of headphones, and it was a separate attachment? This is interesting. So Dyson has patented uh, a pair of headphones with an air purifier built in. Now, they're over ear headphones. They've got the typical arch over the, over the head that you would be wearing, uh, but there is another arch and it would go across your mouth effectively and it would purify the air as you breathe it. And it's kind of weird. So what happens here is you have, um, I guess, fans inside the earcups, which are sucking in the air and then providing you with that purified air for you to breathe. Uh, I would imagine these are going to be noisy. Have you, If you've seen an air purifier, have you even heard a Dyson fan, those bladeless fans operating? They're kind of loud. Now, the patent application notes do state that there will be um, motors inside the ear cups and they will spin at 12,000 RPM. Which will draw in approximately 1.4 liters of air a second, which effectively would be plenty for you to breathe. If they were doing that, you'd get beautiful clean air for you to breathe. Um, the problem here, I'm thinking, it would be noise. Because a it's it's actually spinning about 10 times faster than a PC fan. So if you think about the noise your computer generates when it's working hard, when that fan is cranking that's going to be a little bit noisy if you're sitting on a train and things like that. If you're outside just going for a stroll, no one will probably care because they might not hear it. But maybe you'll hear it. Maybe that's why they've got the headphones with the music built in so that you can just play music to drum out that noise of the fans. But at least you're breathing clean air. If they pull this off and if they actually make this kind of product, expect it to go gangbusters. Um, only because A, we've obviously had the coronavirus concerns. In Australia, we've had the bushfire concerns as well, and people have been buying those masks to avoid the smoke. But generally, even before all of that happened, it wasn't uncommon to see a lot of people wearing face masks, whether they would say they were sick or they were in a place that they thought was polluted, whatever the reason may be. Face masks have been growing in popularity for a while. Now, I know this is a tech podcast. I'm not going to get on the social trends around all this, but I can imagine this doing really well in China. And I would, I would have said that before coronavirus or after, it doesn't matter. But this sort of product would really work. There is a smog and pollution problem in China. Think about Beijing, Taiwan, those sort of countries. They'd go crazy for this. Um, and I think it's the sort of place where they would spend the money. There is quite a bit of disposal income in parts of China. There's some really wealthy people wearing a Dyson pair of headphones. To me, it sounds extremely weird, uh, but I can see this working in Asia. I, and I guess that's why Dyson's doing it. You know, they've had some weird innovations in the past where they tried to do an electric car and stuff like that. That completely failed. I think they lost $2 billion based on that. But this one could work. I would hope that they would actually partner with someone around the headphones. How they could actually get decent audio uh, would be good for them to partner with somebody on because it's not their bread and butter. The air purifying part, however, they're the kind of crazy that they could pull off. Building an electric car probably wasn't their forte. Air purifying is if they can make it small enough and battery powered that it would then run on a pair of uh I don't know, earmuffs, I don't know how you're going to work this, but it looks like it folds down. The arm folds down and then you can put it in front of your mouth, I guess, and suck on some clean air that the Dyson's producing. It sounds insane. I don't know. That's up to old man Dyson to figure out. Guys, I'm going to wrap up the show right there. I have some other things I want to talk about. I'm going to move them to next week so we don't get too, too long in the tail for this podcast. A huge dump of news into your lap. You've been updated. You've got your software update. You're ready to go out into the world and feel knowledged and ready to talk about it at the next barbecue or water cooler situation you might be in. Thank you for listening to Technology Uncorked. That has been seriously a sensational drop of red. I may end up having another one while I edit this out and publish it. Thank you for listening to Technology Uncorked. If you haven't left a review, please do so. I really actually I actually have to say, I really appreciate people who have actually just gone through the effort. They haven't left a review, but they've gone through the effort of actually emailing me or hitting me up on Twitter or Instagram and just sort of giving me feedback telling me that they enjoyed the show, saying that last one with the interview was particularly good. It was good to get some feedback around that. We'll do more of that. I'm actually really excited. I've got one interview which is coming up, which would be awesome. Anyway, so keep your feedback coming. Um, Leave a review on iTunes or whatever it is, and uh, have an amazing week. I'll speak to you again next week from wherever in the world I'm going to be. I'm guessing it's going to be Sydney, Australia. Speak to you soon. Bye-bye.